Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome back and welcome to season nine. I can't believe I'm even saying that. This week, two years ago, I started this podcast and it has been a wild ride. I've had the privilege to interview world-renowned doctors, best-selling authors, and leading experts. We've talked about childhood obesity, picky eating, plant-based diets, school lunch, added sugars, food marketing, food as medicine, intuitive eating, breastfeeding, prenatal nutrition, food allergies, and everything in between. One of my favorite seasons was season six when I sat down to talk to mom entrepreneurs who have developed innovative ideas to help solve for some of the biggest challenges around feeding kids. You've also told me that this is one of your favorites as well, so expect to see more of these interviews this season and beyond. So I'm so excited for you to listen to today's episode because it's about an issue that I think is universal for all parents. And that's how to put an end to picky eating and get your kid to eat just about anything. Because let's face it, when you've put the time and effort into a meal or you've tried over and over to get your kids to take just a bite of whatever food you want them to eat and they just outright refuse to eat it, it's super frustrating. And besides that, we all want our kids to eat healthy. We know it's important for their growth and development and overall health. But sometimes we get caught up in comparison when we're scrolling through social media. We see the charcuterie boards and the brightly colored smoothies and the beautifully curated lunch boxes, and we feel like we can't live up to that or there's no way our kids would even consider those foods. And today's guest says it's all good because although those images look amazing, they're feeding an impossible standard that parents can't live up to. I think this idea that like we have to have these foodie kids that are super adventurous when it comes to food in order to be healthy is really a myth that's doing parents a lot of disservice. That's Crystal Cargis, a registered dietitian nutritionist, international board certified lactation consultant, and intuitive eating counselor. Crystal specializes in maternal health and child feeding and helps moms to heal their own relationships with food and their bodies and to build an attuned and positive feeding relationship with their children so they can raise intuitive eaters. We talk about the common myths around feeding kids, the problem with kid food Instagram, and why there's a lot more to feeding kids than the food we put on their plates. Crystal also shares ways that we can change our mindset at mealtimes, how to talk about food with your kids, and how to raise healthy eaters without it feeling like one more thing on your to-do list. Crystal is a wealth of information, so definitely open up your notes app or pull out a notebook so you won't miss a single thing. Here's my interview with Crystal Cargis. Crystal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Julie. I'm so glad to be here. Yes, I'm excited to talk to you. You're a pretty popular name in, in this world of feeding kids for sure. So let's talk about your story. Thank you. Yes, it's it's pretty wild. Just, you know, I'm at this stage of life and have five children and they range from we have preschool to preteen and everything in between. So really just my motherhood journey in general has really shaped the trajectory of my career and 
Also, just my history, kind of in a nutshell, I really struggled with a tumultuous relationship with food and my body and knew that that was something I didn't want to pass on to my own children and just support them in building a more positive relationship with food in their bodies. So all of that combined has kind of shaped where I am today. Yeah. And so how do you work with clients today? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I definitely through the course of the pandemic, I kind of switched to fully virtual online, the online world. Um, I was delving into it a little bit in terms of private practice and doing some virtual sessions. But once the pandemic hit, I went full virtual. So now I have a small private practice where I get to work with moms and families and just help them improve the culture of food in their home and really rewrite their feeding legacy to one that isn't centered around food guilt or body shame. But yes, I'm primarily in the online space and also am a content creator. So I'm over on Instagram and have a podcast now where I am able to share a lot of these topics that support mothers in raising a generation of kids that aren't struggling with diet culture. Yeah, absolutely. And so throughout your life, have you always been passionate about healthy eating and food? Yeah. And you know, that word health is so uh, very arbitrary. I think it can mean different things for different people. And, you know, one thing that I have just learned from my own journey is really like what, what is healthy for me and for so many of the families that I've worked with is just having more peace in your body. And it's not so much about the food that we're eating or the foods that our kids are eating, but more so about our interaction with food and how we feel about our bodies. And that really extends far beyond, you know, nutrition itself. Like it's so much more layered than that. And so, yeah, I would say definitely just supporting families and moms in, you know, moving away from the struggle and the the battles that often can surface at mealtimes, especially for kids. And I think diet culture has really created unrealistic expectations around what our kids need to eat or how they should be eating. And that can create a lot of unnecessary stress at mealtimes. And and I always tell parents, like the stress that you're feeling at mealtimes is far worse for all of your health than anything that you could possibly eat, right? And no amount of vegetables or quote unquote healthy foods is going to replicate the benefits that come with just enjoyment and pleasure and connection at mealtimes as a family. Yeah, I think that there is so much focus more on the food itself than on the habits that we're teaching our kids. And and like you're saying, just enjoying time together. We're all we're also rushed to at dinner. And then you know, I think a lot of parents are just so focused on how much did they eat and what did they eat. And that's kind of where that struggle comes from. Exactly. Yeah, it can be, you know, it, it can be a lot of conflict. And sometimes the conflict or the pressure that is coming out on our kids at mealtimes can actually make them more adversive to food or trying different foods. And, you know, there's been a lot of literature and research to support that, that when we pressure kids to eat, whether that's like obvious ways to pressure them or more subtle ways, like any form of pressure can actually make kids become more adverse to the foods that we're trying to get them to eat. And so it really does come back to this like basic foundation of how are we engaging with our kids around food versus like the food itself that, you know, I think diet culture in general has has put way too much importance on. 
Yeah, absolutely. But we can't get away from the fact that most kids are picky eaters. And so why is that? Yeah, this is a big this is a big topic. And I have a couple of selective eaters myself. And I can definitely empathize with the struggles that that can bring up. And, you know, it can be hard when you see your child only eating a handful of foods and wondering, like, are they going to be okay? Are they going to be healthy? Are they going to be thriving? And again, part of that is the expectations that have been created around how kids should eat in order to be healthy. And I think a big part of this is this image that social media has created. I like to call it kid food Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. Like we see all these like curated accounts that show, you know, cookie cutter sandwiches and, and bento boxes with all the different colors of the rainbow. And then you <laughs> might, might be feeling like, oh my gosh, my kid will eat like Cheez-Its and that's it. You know, so that can create a lot of guilt. And then again, like we are like internalizing the shame and pressure around like how my kids should be eating. And in reality, how kids eat is very layered and complex. And a lot of kids, you know, are eating or making food choices based on sensory, you know, input. And 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 here's an example, you know, let's take vegetables. This is a group of foods that is often highlighted for, you know, the many benefits nutritionally. And there are a ton of, of nu nutrition benefits there. However, when we look at it from a sensory perspective, it's often a food group that's more complex when it comes to flavors and textures. Like when you think about a vegetable, right, compared to, let's say, you know, a Ritz cracker that you take out of a box and it's going to be the same every single time, that reliability and predictability and consistency with food often is easier for a child who is still learning how to eat. And, and so, you know, sometimes we can put a lot of pressure on what our kids need to eat to be healthy. And we forget that they're still learning and learning how to eat is a process. And it's something that takes time. It takes repetitious exposures, you know. Um, and as an example, I have a kiddo who is 11 now and she's one of my selective eaters. And she is just now on her own deciding to try a lot of different things like like different veggies and and different kinds of proteins that she really avoided for most of her life. And these are things I've been exposing to her for years, you know? And yeah. so I, I think this idea that like we have to have these foodie kids that are super adventurous when it comes to food in order to be healthy is really a myth that's doing parents a lot of disservice. And in reality, we want to expose them, but we don't want to pressure them and we want them to be able to learn how to eat on their own timeline and in their own terms. I love it. Absolutely. You know, I, I have an, an 11 year old who was a really great eater and now she will not eat much of anything. Mm, yes. <laughs> and, so, and that's pretty typical too, right? Yeah, totally. It's just really common for kids to ebb and flow when it comes to their tastes and preferences. And I hear that a lot. And I also hear kind of like the flip side where, where parents might say, you know, we started out with baby led weaning and we like offered everything to my kids and like they would eat literally everything. And then they become older and become more autonomous and independent. And, and now like they don't want to eat any of the foods that they used to eat before. And we forget to like step back and see the bigger picture and realize like this is actually a normal part of development. Like it's, it's normal for kids to have their preferences change, you know, to 
like things one day and then not like them anymore. And sometimes we're like that too. Like right. we kind of burn out, <laughs> right? Like on eating certain things, we're like, ah, not into that anymore. And so we forget that, you know, our kids are the same way and we don't give them the grace to to flex those muscles to learn like what they like, what they don't like, and to be able to ebb and flow without us like freaking out about, you know, their eating changing. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some common feeding mistakes that we as parents make? Yes. And, you know, I like to I like to think a bit more about like learning curves, right? Because feeding kids is hard and none of us were given a manual on how to feed our kids. And so and again, we're we are being hit with so many conflicting ideas. We have, you know, search engines at our fingertips where we're constantly like being overwhelmed and bombarded with all this information. And that makes it hard. And so, you know, one thing that I think is common is that we try to put our kids in a box that they're that they're not meant to fit in, you know, when it comes to how they should eat or the types of foods that they should eat or the quantities that they should eat. And really like what our kids need to grow into their healthiest selves is our unconditional acceptance of their appetites, preferences, and also their body sizes. And so when we try to pressure them or get them to change or conform to a way that we think they should be, that is where power struggles come up. That is where, you know, a lot of adverse consequences can happen. And it's not your fault. Like it's not, it's not a parent's fault by any means because there's so many factors here at play. But it's just understanding that oftentimes that gap between the expectations that we might have in our mind around how our kids should eat versus like the reality of how they're actually able to eat, that gap can actually, you know, is where I see like us as parents like trying to come in and do different things, whether it's pressuring kids to eat in a certain way or maybe restricting access to certain foods that we feel uncomfortable with them eating. Those two sides of the spectrum can often create a lot more stress and havoc on a child's relationship with food. And so, but again, there's a lot there and it's certainly not parents' faults. Like again, we're all doing the best that we can with the the information and resources that we have. But, you know, it can be really easy to try to take things in our own hands and to maintain some sense of control over our kids, especially when it comes to food. But we have to remember that our kids also want to be in control of their own bodies and they want to maintain autonomy of their appetites and their preferences. And when we don't allow that, you know, within guidance, like I'm not saying that we shouldn't provide our kids any structure at all. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, when we try to become too rigid and too controlling, that is where, you know, the power struggles can surface. And, you know, you you talked before about when you see these perfect images on Instagram. And I really I think that's a real challenge for parents today. And and along with that comes a lot of influencers disseminating information that may not be true. And then again, parents are are trying to compare themselves and, and, you know, try to live up to this to this standard. And so what what do you say are some common feeding myths that parents should know about? Yeah, I love this question. I would say a couple that come to mind, like off the top of my head that are pretty big. Like one is I can't let my child eat sweets or sugar or they'll become addicted or it'll ruin their health. Things like that. Like that is something that is definitely a myth. And I know I know it might 
sound countercultural for me to say that. I know my opinion is certainly not a popular opinion. However, I've worked with so many families who are trying to reverse the consequences of like restricting access to sweets for their children or, you know, just also like, like you were saying, like just having like these unrealistic ideas in terms of how my kids should be eating in order to be healthy. Like my kid needs to eat a ton of vegetables and we need to stay away from processed foods and my child needs to eat in a very kind of balanced way at every snack and meal. And again, the reality is that most kids naturally will not eat that way. And it doesn't mean that something's wrong with them or that they're going to now become unhealthy. You know, like those are the myths that are often perpetuated around these ideas around how kids should eat. And, you know, again, it doesn't mean like, all right, no holds bar, you know, like free reign to the fridge and pantry. You just eat whatever you want all day. Like our kids still need us to provide leadership and guidance and structure around meals and eating times. But we need to trust our kids to be able to eat what they need from the foods that we're we're providing them. And again, like this idea that we need to minimize their access to like, quote unquote, unhealthy foods can actually do more harm than good. Because the reality is like we live in a world where all of these foods exist, you know, like Mm -hmm. they're all over the place. And so what I often see is that kids who are restricted or limited from the foods that they might be showing a high interest in or the foods that they see their friends eating at school or the the birthday cake and the pizza at the birthday party on the weekend you know when when access to those foods is not intentionally integrated then these kids become obsessive with these foods and they might start sneaking they might start hiding them or eating in secret or seemed so preoccupied with food that it prevents them from engaging in just real childhood life, you know? And we don't want our kids to grow up and live on their own and never have learned how to self-regulate eating all the foods that are in our world and that we have access to. So that's a big one. I know there was probably a few different things in there, but, you know, just this idea that we have to be like the gatekeepers and like rigidly control what our kids eat and, you know, never let them have access to the real foods that that do exist. And again, that's where that peaceful relationship comes in, where it's like, yeah, I can go to the birthday party and enjoy a piece of cake and have fun and then move on and not be so hung up on these foods that I never get access to, if that makes sense. Yeah, right. Like you're taking the power away from the food. That's right. Yeah, this is amazing. Crystal, so we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about ways that we can encourage our kids to eat more vegetables and eat healthier overall. If mealtimes are stressful and you just can't get your kids to eat what you make, then you've got to get them in the kitchen. Cooking with my kids has really gone a long way in encouraging them to try new foods and eat their veggies. But most of us aren't chefs, and that's why I love the Kids Cook Real Food e-course. This course was created by a mom of four and a former elementary school teacher, and it's for kids ages two to teen. You'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping list, and kid-friendly recipes. The course also has a ton of substitutions, so if your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, they've got you covered. My daughters and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. 
All you have to do to sign up is go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. Most of the time, I don't even know why I cook meals because all my kids want are snacks. But finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that are also affordable isn't always easy. And that's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids are all about the Lara bars and the Go Raw cinnamon snacking seeds. Thrive Market also has essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products like Truce, which is one of my favorite cleaners. And they also have clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. So Crystal, you know what I want to talk about first is eating a lot of fake food. And you mentioned earlier before the break that, you know, everything is, is, should be on the table, if you will. But if kids are eating a lot of fake food, can it sort of alter their palate or their desire for fresh whole foods? Yeah, that's a great question. And really what I have found from my experience, again, my own lived experience and working with a lot of families with this is that when there are foods that kids feel safe with, right? Like foods that are accepted, that they feel comfortable with. And these tend to be those carbohydrate rich foods that are really consistent, that don't um, have too many complex flavors or textures, things like that. You know, so when we are intentional about incorporating those things alongside other foods that our kids are still learning how to eat without pressuring them to eat those foods, you know, maintaining kind of like that neutral environment, it really can help support them to learn how to eat in a, in a way that feels more comfortable for them. Um, and again, you know, part of this is understanding that what can largely shape a child's palate is more so their temperament and kind of like their sensory profile. Like that plays more of a role in their food choices and how they eat than, you know, other other things. So it, it really is, it's a fine line. I think it's important to, again, not put too much pressure on yourself as a parent and knowing that when you are intentional about incorporating the things that your child already likes and is an accepted food for them, and you're exposing them to other foods alongside their favorite foods, that can be kind of like the combination that supports them with learning how to eat, you know, in a positive way. And so what are some ways that we can encourage our kids to eat more vegetables and also more green leafy vegetables? Because I think the vegetables that our kids are eating are usually like the starchy or the carrots, things like that. And then just eat healthier overall. Yeah, you know, I I think it's also important just to point out that a lot of the nutrients that are in these foods, like the leafy greens, right? I know there's a lot of emphasis on those foods. And really, it's important to remember that a lot of the foods that we're eating have overlap when it comes to nutrition. So those micronutrients that, 
you know, are in green leafy vegetables are also in other foods too. And so ideally when we can support our kids by offering and exposing them to a variety of different things, they will have a better chance overall optimizing their nutrition intake. So we don't, you know, I say that because I feel like there's so much pressure on parents to like get your kids to eat spinach or kale. And really like that might be kind of the last food on the totem pole that they are reaching in terms of learning how to eat. And so really one of the most powerful ways to support our kids with healthier behaviors around food is modeling. And I know that can be a hard one to take in because it it requires some self-awareness around our own eating habits, around our own relationship with food. But really like our kids learn so much and get so curious about food by how they see us engaging with food, you know? And I know... I know there's a lot here and I don't want to say this as a way of like putting more pressure on parents than parents already have. But if you think about it, you know, a lot of us, especially coming out of the pandemic, have have backburnered our own needs significantly and out of pure survival too. And we may not necessarily take the time to sit down and eat and enjoy our food. And it's more like everything's on the go, got to go, got to go, got to get the kids out, got to get the kids here. And so often we're doing things for our kids or asking them to do things that we ourselves are not even doing. And (laughs) that creates a lot of dissonance in their mind, you know, like, well, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to sit down and eat? But mommy's like, running around and like, I never see mom eat, you know? And I know a lot of us grew up with that, that too. Like I remember growing up and never seeing my mom sit at the table either. Like motherhood does not equal being a martyr, you know? (laughs) And I think like, it's really important to be able to model some of these behaviors. And, you know, some of the, the most interesting like interactions I've had with my kids around food are when I'm sitting and eating with them, you know, and like they see me like crunching into all these different foods that I prepared and served at the table. And that communicates a really powerful message to them. And if anything, just sparks their curiosity and their interest. It doesn't necessarily mean like, all right, they're going to eat that food, but it just shows them like, oh, like that food is safe or, or mommy enjoys that food, you know, and it sparks their curiosity in a very neutral way. It's not like, all right, you need to take a bite of this. It's more like, oh, I'm eating this and enjoying it and I'm not pressuring you to do that, but I'm modeling and communicating, you know, really powerful messages around food in that way. Awesome. So you have workshops that you offer and you talk about using scripts. So what are those and how do we use them? Yeah, you know, I have just found in working with with parents and um, families is that so many parents are trying to kind of unlearn everything that they learned about food and their bodies growing up in order to kind of rewrite their legacy around food for their kids, you know. And so many of us grew up with a very shaming narrative around food and our bodies, right? Like a lot of us like internalize these messages from really young ages that you know, we can't, we can't trust our body. Like your appetite is not okay. Your body size is not okay. And these are things that we're trying to undo so that our kids don't, you know, hear those same messages. And kind of the problem or more so the gap is that a lot of us might not know how to talk to our kids about food outside of like this, you know, food guilting, shaming narrative that we kind of grew up with. And so I... I love just helping parents, like giving you like ideas about 
ways that you can talk about food or your body in a way that like supports your kids in building like natural curiosity around food and also uh, feeling more confident in their own bodies. And again, that can be hard to do if you were never parented in that way or you never heard your own caregivers talking about their body in a positive way. It's like, okay, I know I want to do this for my kids, but I have no idea what to say. And so, yeah, I love just like sharing some easy scripts and uh, phrases and messaging with parents that they can use to start practicing kind of reshaping the narrative around food and bodies in their home. What would be an example of this? How would this play out at the dinner table? Yeah. So for example, you know, oftentimes I think, um, we tend to kind of want to move into a micromanaging role when it comes to feeding our kids. So that can be like, oh, you need to take another bite of that or, you know, don't eat. I don't think you should have another one of those. Like you're kind of, you're eating too much. You know, these are things that kind of unconsciously slip out again, that can communicate messages to our kids that their bodies can't be trusted or how they eat is wrong. And so just talking about food in a more kind of neutral way or bringing it back to the connection piece. Like this is not about me controlling my child to eat in a certain way, but me learning to connect with my child around food. Because when I can prioritize that, better health outcomes will naturally follow, right? And so, you know, giving you like some prompts and scripts to kind of help facilitate that conversation. Because again, a lot of us don't know how to do that. And that can be something like, I am so, I'm so grateful that I can sit here and enjoy this yummy meal with you. And that might seem super simple, but in reality, like our kids hearing that can be such a powerful message. Like food is safe and mealtimes are positive, right? Or just talking about food in a way that again, doesn't perpetuate any food guilt or just naturally trying to create curiosity around food that doesn't involve pressuring your child to eat. So that can be like, you know what? I'm really curious. Is there something on your plate that's crunchy when you bite into it? You know, what is it? Or what different colors do you see on your plate? Things like that, that again, facilitate natural curiosity without like creating all this pressure around mealtimes. That's great. And and cooking can do the same thing, right? And so what are what are some realistic ways that we can get our kids in the kitchen without it completely feeling like a, a big pro, big messy project? I know. And sometimes it's like this feels so daunting. I would rather just my kid not be in here at all. <laughs> I totally relate to that. And yeah, you know, it's just important to remember that our kids are learning about food in so many other ways outside of just mealtime and often the outside exposures are sometimes even more effective because mealtime can naturally have this pressure that comes with it. Like I have to sit down and eat. And sometimes that pressure can be an obstacle for kids naturally getting curious and learning about food. And yeah, you know, it's always important to examine your capacity as a parent. Like if you're just having a hard day and you realize like, I don't have capacity to do this with my child right now, that's totally okay. Because if they feel your negative energy around them being in the kitchen, like that's going to not create a positive association for them, you know? So Mm -hmm. yes, cooking can definitely be one, like if and when you have capacity and it can be simple things like, Hey, can you wash these vegetables? Can you stir this pot? Can you measure out this ingredient? Like any of those like simple things can go such a long way in just creating exposures for them. But also things like going to the grocery store and like seeing different foods, you know, um, or reading about food. Uh, 
pretend play around food, gardening or just being outside. Or, you know, I know like over Halloween, we like to take our kids to a local pumpkin patch and, you know, we never buy pumpkins there, but we just like, like to look at how pumpkins are grown because sometimes there's a disconnect in our kids' minds between where food actually comes from and, and, you know, helping them kind of understand that can be really powerful in supporting the learning process for them. So there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, one thing that has actually really helped my own, one of my own selective eaters, she loves watching like the cooking shows, the junior ones, like but where it's kids that are doing the cooking and just seeing that and seeing like kids get excited about food and trying different recipes like that has also been helpful too. So there's a lot of different ways and you can, you know, kind of do what works for you and your own family. These are great ideas. So I saw that you wrote an article about intuitive eating and whether or not it is good for kids. So we we hear a lot of that about it and it especially kind of in the mom female circle, women's circle and and the benefits of it, but is it is it something we should be modeling for our children? Yeah, this is a a very nuanced topic for sure. And you know, intuitive eating is it looks differently for adults and then kids. And I think there's a lot of confusion around that. And, you know, it's important to remember like intuitive eating at its at its basic core is being able to listen to your body's innate wisdom to guide you in your food choices. And we're all born with these kind of like innate intuitive eating abilities to help guide our food choices. Like if you think about a baby or a toddler, like they're very connected to what their body needs. And we as parents like respond to that, right? By offering a bottle or feeding them like when we we know they need to eat. And so what tends to happen though, is as we get older and we get hit and bombarded with all these messages that you can't trust your body or you need to follow X, Y, and Z diet, we start to listen less to our body's internal cues and start to listen more to external guidelines around how we should be eating. And so intuitive eating is definitely coming back to your own body and learning to be the, the best expert of your own body because in reality, nutrition is not a one-size-fits-all approach. You know, we all have different needs. We all need different things. And our body kind of holds that innate wisdom to help us you know, decide like what we need and how much to eat and how much of this to eat. So our kids are already intuitive eaters. Like they can naturally get what they need and are really great at self-regulating as long as we're not interfering, you know, like as long as we're not like trying to step in and say, I don't think that was enough. You need to eat more. You're eating too much. Like, again, those are the messages that can interfere with their ability to, to listen to their bodies. And so as a parent, it's not so much our job to kind of teach intuitive eating to our children, but rather to preserve the intuitive eating abilities that they already have. And that comes with, you know, focusing on our jobs and our responsibilities with feeding and trusting our kids to do their part with eating. And then certainly as a parent, you know, if you have struggled with a difficult relationship with food or your body or maybe disordered eating or have struggled with an eating disorder in the past, you know, I, it, feeding kids can feel like it's bringing all that back up to the surface. And sometimes it feels like everything's under the microscope, right? Because our kids are watching us, modeling us, and looking at how we navigate life, right? To inform 
to inform them. And so if if our kids see us struggling with food or maybe we're not eating or we're following X, Y, and Z diet, I mean, it's important to just understand that those things will have an impact on them too. And so if you want to break that legacy of diet culture in your own family, it it does require to do some self-examination around your own relationship with food, how you engage with food, how do you talk about your body? You know, how do you engage with exercise and movement? Like that's all part of it. And so intuitive eating as an approach for adults can be a really helpful way to move into a more kind of peaceful, life-giving relationship with food that's not, you know, inundated by diet culture, so to say. And so we talked a little bit about this before, but we're all overworked, overwhelmed, stressed out, and we want to get healthy meals and snacks on the table every day. But so how can we be consistent with healthy eating without feeling like it's one more thing that we have to do? Yeah, you know, I know this is like the million dollar question, (laughs) but, you know, I think just having some intentionality around it for sure can be helpful, right? Like, is there a regular time that you're going to the store and stocking up? And what's wonderful in our day today is that we do have a lot more resources available to us than ever before, right? Like you can automate your grocery list, you can order online, you can have your groceries delivered or pick, go pick them up. You know, it's just more about making that time happen and one way that we do that is being intentional and prioritizing it. And it's it's something that we have to in our mind, like it's a mindset thing of like, oh, it's just one more thing I have to do to this is like a practical, basic way that I am taking care of myself and my family. You know, like mm-hmm. I always like to tell the moms that I work with that eating and getting enough to eat is the more most basic form of self-care. And, you know, I think it comes to also coming back into what you like. Like, what do I actually enjoy? Is this salad that I'm making myself eat every day actually satisfying? Or am I, are there other things that I can open up my possibilities and palate to that actually are more satisfying and enjoyable? And when you can make food more enjoyable for you, I do think that goes a long way in making it easier to feed yourself and your kids. Well, Crystal, this has been an amazing interview. I've had so much fun. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Thank you so much, Julie. Yes, I really enjoyed speaking with you. And I actually have a podcast too. It's called Lift the Shame, Mothering Free from Food Guilt and Body Shame. And we have an amazing community over there. We also have a free support group for mothers who are either in eating disorder recovery or just trying to heal their own relationship with food and their bodies. And that is called Lift the Shame as well. And then I have a website chock full of articles and blogs that if you're interested in reading more about these topics, um, I have a ton of info on there at crystalcargus.com. And then lastly, I'm just over on Instagram at crystalcargus and love connecting with people on there as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Julie. I love chatting with Crystal Cargus because her approach to feeding kids is flexible and supportive of parents. She says sometimes we can put a lot of pressure on what our kids need to eat to be healthy, and we forget that they're still learning, and learning how to eat is a process. So powerful. Be sure to head on over to her website, which I've linked to in the show notes. 
Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week.